Hello and welcome to the Lucina podcast featuring highlights of the literature from the May 2016 edition of Archives of Disease in Childhood. My name's Robert Scott Jupp. Now the first paper featured in Lucina this month is about the highly controversial area of how you can prevent eczema and other atopic symptoms in infants which is a major problem for many families. Parents will often ask us this and most of us don't quite know what to say. Obviously exclusive breastfeeding is recommended but even this doesn't prevent it and mothers obviously choose to wean off the breast for lots of reasons and what do we recommend they should take then? Some uh, formula manufacturers have suggested that hypoallergenic formula with the addition of oligosaccharide prebiotics might actually be beneficial. Now it was in fact actually the um, formula manufacturers that set out this study called the PATCH study that's um, been recently reported. It was a randomized controlled trial involving 860 infants in a number of different countries, Australia, Singapore, England and Ireland and in different centers. They were randomized to receive either the intervention feed, which was a new specially designed partially hydrolyzed whey formula with added oligosaccharides or control standard formula, whatever they would have used. And they were randomized if the mothers chose to introduce this before the age of 18 weeks. The primary outcome was prevalence of eczema at 12 months or at 18 months. And they found no difference. The hypoallergenic formula didn't seem to protect against eczema at all and it was equally prevalent at about 30% in both groups. They also did some immunological tests and these did show some differences. Perhaps the most important ones such as IgE and cow's milk specific uh, antibodies uh, weren't different. However, specific Ig1 and T-cell tests did suggest some protective effect but this was not manifest in any clinical superiority only time will tell. Actually since um, I reported this uh, uh, meta-analysis has come out in the BMJ which you may have seen which includes this study and a number of others and is actually by the same author which um, is much stronger evidence for the lack of effectiveness of hypoallergenic formula in preventing not only eczema but a number of other atopic symptoms. So Unfortunately for us and for the formula manufacturers, um, there doesn't seem to be any great advantage in using one of these special formulas. Now, another very controversial area is the issue of nose bleeding, epistaxis, and its possible relationship to asphyxiation in very young infants. There have been some very high profile court cases where Um, It has been claimed that nosebleed in a very young infant is almost diagnostic of abuse. Others have said that it can happen for entirely innocent reasons. The Cardiff Child Protection Systematic Review Group, who are really leading the world in this sort of systematic review of these topics, have turned their attention to this one and it's been published in the Journal of Paediatrics. Now the problem with all these studies of Um, manifestations of child abuse is the risk of circularity. In other words, simply because they had a particular symptom which conventionally has been thought to be related to abuse, uh, then they get accused of it for that reason that's presented of evidence when care proceedings are taken. So for this, um, as in their previous studies, they went to some lengths to corroborate the definition of abuse 
by having other fairly firm evidence, i.e. that it had been witnessed by somebody or it had been admitted by the perpetrator or there was hard autopsy evidence or evidence from a multi-agency protection or sudden death investigation or a legal panel decision. Having um, dispensed with a lot of unsuitable studies, they found only six studies. The proportions of children under two years of age who had epistaxis not explained by obvious trauma or other underlying medical conditions were asphyxiated range between 7% and 24% in the different studies. So putting all those together, only 30 definitely asphyxiated children were described in total. So really the conclusions are based on quite small numbers. Of this, this 30, 17 presented alive and 13 were dead on arrival. Of those presenting alive, about half were said to have other worrying features such as pallor, shock, breathing problems and tachycardia, which were likely to have been caused by asphyxiation. Petechiae were present in some of both the asphyxiated and the non-asphyxiated groups. Now, it seems likely that the true rate of asphyxiation in these uh, infants with nosebleeds is actually higher than that because, of course, some of those where there was no corroborating evidence might actually have been asphyxiated, but there was nothing to prove this. They conclude by recommending that any child less than two years who presents with unexplained nosebleeding should go through the usual panoply of social and medical investigation, including skeletal surveys, examination by an ENT specialist of the nose, if appropriate, and brain imaging. Now, myopia, short-sightedness, is getting more common, and it seems for some reason to be a particular problem in East Asian countries. One um, suggested explanation for this is simply that children spend less time outdoors. They spend more time focusing on something close to them, i.e. televisions, computer screens, and this might be contributing to it. Um, it's a particular concern in China. You may say, well, this is a trivial matter because all you've got to do is give them glasses, and that's true, but children don't like wearing glasses, um, and extreme myopia can actually cause other quite disabling eye problems. So in Gangju in China, a large cluster randomized trial where the schools were randomized as opposed to the children uh, where the schools were randomized received either an extra 40 minutes a day of extra outdoor activity or to carry on as they usually did. The theory was that just spending 40 minutes a day might actually improve things and indeed it did. They assessed them by doing refractions and after three years uh, the, there was a significant difference. Myopia by their own definition uh, was significantly less prevalent in the intervention schools, 30% versus 40%, and this was significant. This may not be generalizable about outside this particular group, and importantly they couldn't really say whether this was a short-term improvement or whether it was sustained. So nonetheless though it can't be a bad thing, and of course there are many other increasingly prevalent conditions which we think um, more outdoor time could help avert. Adolescents are known to be particularly bad at taking their medications. And we also know that asthma, um, by the nature of its intermittent occurrence, is a condition where adherence to treatment is also pretty poor. When you put these two things together, it seems likely that an awful lot of adolescents don't actually take their asthma treatment. This is borne out by worrying mortality rates in adolescents and young adults with asthma. A group from Sweden decided to look at this in a bit more detail and using their population-based birth cohort um, of 
4,000 young people born between 1994 and 1996, they were able to identify 330 of these as having definite asthma at 16 years. They then asked them about their use of medicine and also about their use of other people's prescribed medicines, both oral and inhalers. They could then link what they said to the actual prescribing records to see whether they were actually taking what they were prescribed. The control was actually rather poor. Of the 330 with asthma, 176 were considered fully controlled and 155 uncontrolled. Boys were more likely to be controlled than girls. They found that 82% reported use of asthma medicines and 10% reported using somebody else's medicines. However, the 22% who reported using their medicines had not actually had any dispensed according to the records for the previous 18 months. So what they said they were using, they probably weren't. That's only what's been dispensed. We can safely assume that even when they were dispensed, they weren't always used. So although we know that in many areas of our practice, there's a huge gap between what medicines patients say they take and what they actually take, taking the particular case of asthmatic adolescence, this gap is even more enormous and we should never really assume that our adolescent asthmatics are actually taking what they say they are.